0: Uh, If you're listening to the podcast, you can find a link to a PDF of the handout for tonight and um, be finishing up Session 5 and beginning Session 6 this evening. And so you can look at last week's podcast for a link to that handout for Session 5 and download those and follow along if you'd like, Uh, but certainly not if you're driving in a car right now. Uh, Let me pray for us now. Uh, those that aren't driving a car, but are just sitting after eating chili dogs and potato chips and brownies and ice cream. So all of you on the podcast, don't you just want to come to Family Night at Grace and enjoy a meal and, and a class? Uh, let me pray for us. Father God, thanks for uh, those who served us tonight, um, gave of their time uh, freely and uh, with joy to make a meal and to wash dishes afterwards and to clean up that kitchen. Uh, We're grateful for their service to us so that we have full bellies as we now seek to feast on your word and to learn more about you, Father, and to learn more about what you have done to bring everything that is around us into existence. Um, Encourage our hearts with the theological truths that we find in the creation account and rooted in the reality that you are the creator, God. Um, Thanks for these brothers and sisters and for our time here tonight. We ask that your spirit would be present in bringing about understanding and transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so where we're going to pick up uh, on the existence and attributes of God, the second part of that is on uh, holiness, so you can find that in your handout. Yes?
1: Before we go there, I have a question related to the doctrine of the Trinity. My understanding is that the the relationship of the persons of the Trinity is not hierarchical, Uh, that um, when the Son became incarnate, he voluntarily submitted to the Father, but now that He is ascended into heaven, there's there's not a hierarchical
0: relationship. Um, my sense would my sense would be that there is uh, that there is a a mutually submissive. So, the Son submitting to the Father, the Spirit submitting to the Son and the Father, um, Jesus sending the Spirit. Jesus saying that I will send the Spirit and He will bring to mind all the things that I taught you, not the things that He's teaching. His, I love, uh, Packer um, gave the illustration of the Holy Spirit, like when you drive by some of the really big fancy houses around here in Salida um, at night and they've got the lights that shine up because they want you to see their big fancy beautiful house, right? And that is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is His role is to shine a light and to increase understanding to see clearly who the Son is and who the Father is. Um, so I, I I take those passages in the Scriptures where we see Jesus talking about that. Like you just gave an example, brother, of um, submitting to the Father's will. I mean, even Gethsemane, right? Like, not my will, but Your will be done. Uh, I think that, um, even, I I don't even think that that stops him. It, It makes me think of, uh, the son not knows not the time or the hour, only the father knows that and will send Jesus at his appointed time to consummate all things, uh, which seems to be that there's still a submission there of the son to the father. Um, so yeah, that's how I would, that's how I would understand. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? of that.
1: Um, I, I guess I'm not a subordinationalist.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, explain to me what you mean by that term, subordinationalist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is okay. We'll all be in heaven together. And then he'll reveal to us exactly what the, <laughs> what the answer was. <laughs> There's a lot of theological principles like that.
2: So I don't know yeah. so there's different roles, so I'm not sure that they're necessarily subordinate one to another. They just are doing different things that are you know helpful to each other.
0: Right, yeah, and, and I think yet yeah, probably where we're what where we would differ is that you would see that there was that hierarchy at a point in time, mainly it seems, in the incarnation in, of the in Sun. The yeah, yeah. And for so for that 33 some odd years of created time, that was in effect, and that, as you said, the resurrected Christ, that there still may be those different roles. And I would agree. I mean, I think, what's the confession that says, is it Westminster, that um, one God, three persons, equal in substance and power? Is it substance and power or substance and authority? Um, Yeah, so I, which, and maybe I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too. I I think there is that equality and still a hierarchy. Um, Yeah. Anyway, we can move on.
2: I have have one
0: question. Yeah, Brian. Um, So last week,
2: I'm not sure, um, I don't remember if you defined, but you meant by a person. So, you know, you said God exists as three persons, but how would you define,
0: hmm that's a great question um i i think well one i think that definition somewhat uh, fails certainly when it comes to the father and the spirit because generally we think of personhood as like a distinct um, bodily being and they have no body so I, I think I would just have to say something along the lines of a distinct being, um, and yet one God, so that there's a distinction and a separation. But yeah, I'd have to give that a little bit more thought. That's a great question. I think I just always have person in my head, and I haven't thought to define it too concretely.
1: I don't think you should try to define it. You, you take what the scripture says, that humans are made in the image of God. And we know what it's like to relate to one another as humans, one human to another, and somehow we have we have scriptural authority to project that onto God.
0: And yeah, I mean, a, a little bit of that toddler language to just try and understand. Yeah, we shouldn't try to define it. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, but,
2: but Scripture doesn't say that God is or that Father Son.
0: Well, it's a the sun certainly. Well, by okay. any definition, well, would it's true be. Yeah. 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 I yeah I don't. I mean, I'd have to think about that for a moment. I, I think that probably theologically, what we're trying to understand in a theology of the Trinity is in those in those ways in which God Himself, you know, anthropomorphizes Himself in His descriptions to give us those like to just try and even understand and get our minds around who he is. His arm is not too short. He sees. He moves. Um, he has a hand. Yeah, he has a hand. All, all of those things. Um, he runs to and fro throughout the whole earth. Um, actually,
2: yeah. I actually think he only seems to have a right hand or a right arm.
0: And that might be true. He,
2: you he never hear him talk about his left arm. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> no,
0: that sure. could be true. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to think about that more. It's a good question. Good question. Any other questions before we continue in holiness? And feel free, again, it's a good reminder to raise a hand at any point and stop me and ask a question. Holiness. Holiness refers to God's otherness. It's, it's another, another aspect way that he is not like us Uh, we see in the amazing vision of isaiah 6 where seraphim cover their faces and exclaim holy 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 is yahweh of heaven's armies his glory fills the whole earth one way to think about holiness i think could be to think about his purity that he's ethically distinct from us he's separate from sin which is why Isaiah goes on in that vision in Isaiah 6, coming into contact with a holy God. He is aware of who he is in relationship to that God. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of heaven's armies. Have you had an experience like that? Have you been granted the grace to be meditating upon who God is and his holiness either through a very specific explicit description of him in the Bible or just as you're reading through the scriptures and it might not even be kind of directly related to that but you just have a sense of his presence and an awareness of who he is and you fall on your knees fall forward maybe off of the, the lazy boy or the couch or the kitchen chair because you've, you've seen him so clearly in all of his holiness and his glory. We think there's so many descriptions in the scriptures like this, right? Even Jesus in the transfiguration to see the veil pulled back as it were and that they immediately found, fell down and they were afraid the holiness of God, and then to see your own sin. Isn't that what Paul was on about And his closeness to God to say, I, I'm the chief of sinners. There's a sense of, you could almost hear him, so he'd probably be willing to say, woe is me. Um, the closer that we get to the beauty of who God is and the beauty of who Jesus is, the irony, right, in our maturing is that we see more and more of our shortcomings <laughs> we and there's a sense in which we're actually becoming and sanctification means that we're actually growing in holiness we're growing in impurity and yet the irony is that we just continue to have more and more revealed to us it's kind of like the big rocks kind of those really obvious sins are the first ones that come to the fore and then you start to see it, it's like uh, it's like cutting down that tree and then you see the guy that the stump remover guy that comes and he's got to pull up out like we're we, we cut a tree out we think oh we're done and there's this root system. I, I had someone send me a picture of a redwood last week and I mean it looked like it had to be 15 feet across and and, and he said and this is one of the small ones and the first thought I had was how big is that root system? <laughs> like how huge is that? And there's this tree of sin, and then there's these tendrils that that, as we come into the presence of a holy God, I think he reveals how deeply those things wind their way into our hearts, into the realities of who we are, and the way that we have to pull those things out. God is holy, He's totally clean, He's radiant, He's without spot or blemish, he's pure. And blameless, and so there's a sense that Isaiah is experiencing that he's unapproachable. Like, how can I? Right? You think of like Moses at the burning, at the burning bush, right? Like take, take your sandals off your feet, Moses, because my presence is making this holy ground, right? So, so there we get a sense of what is holy. holiness is a is a set apartness holiness can apply to not just God but it can app- all of the things of the temple were made holy Moses slaughtered animals and then sprayed blood on things to re- why because there was this stain of sin there's a stain of sin everywhere throughout creation and so things needed to be set apart they needed to be made clean to be in the presence of this holy God And the paradox is that even though he is unapproachable, he's also irresistibly beautiful in his holiness. Unstained by sin, he is the fountain of light. Jonathan Edwards said that holiness is, as it were, the beauty and sweetness of the divine nature. The beauty and sweetness of the divine nature. Have you pondered the holiness of God. Just thought about the holiness of God, right? And here's the thing about each of these attributes: there's just there's big books on every one of them. I I think of uh, R.C. Sproul, just an incredibly gifted, uh, godly man and teacher, and most of his life was given to this particular attribute of God: unpacking the holiness of God. You could go online, you could to Ligonier Ministries and you can watch talks by him and you could buy books by him. Just unpacking holiness and how fundamental and critical it is to understanding this beauty and sweetness of the divine nature. His holiness, as we see from Isaiah, is awe-inspiring. It's like standing before the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. Have you been to one of those places? Either of those places? (laughs) I have not yet been to the Grand Canyon. I don't know what's wrong with me.
3: I've seen the ark, though, and that's probably just as amazing.
0: You've seen what? The ark. The,
3: the rebuild of the ark. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, that. No, it's the ark. No, it's the arc, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. super cool.
0: I, I've stood at the base of Niagara Falls. Oh, like and, yeah, it is. it's absolutely overwhelming, and yet... you you can't look away, right? You just want to soak it in. It's Again, it's like there's so many places here that we have in our little valley where you can go and you just sit and you just look. And there's, I think that's what God wants for us in understanding his holiness. Edwards goes on to write when he's speaking of the holiness of God that the holiness of God consists in his love especially in the perfect and intimate union and love that there is between the Father and the Son, marking yet another irresistible and distinct thing about God in His holiness, and therefore His holiness making His love absolutely unstained and perfect. As God is holy, so we are to be holy, it says in the Scriptures. Be holy, as I am holy, He actually says. This isn't merely about what one doesn't do. We, we contend towards that as Christians. What are all the things that I'm not supposed to do to be holy? Instead of thinking, or in addition to thinking, what are all of the things that I do? What are the positive actions that I take to live out holiness? When you look at the Burning Bush episode again, right? What makes that ground holy is God's presence. It's that he's entered into a relationship with his people. So holiness isn't first defined by what we do or don't do, but to whom we belong. It's not just being separate from something, but being devoted to somebody. Again, those were the instruments in the temple. When they were set apart and made holy, they were devoted to God. Just like the priests were devoted to God. And in the same way, we are devoted to God. And so how we are positively holy, how we become holy, is by exhibiting his attributes. So all of those communicable attributes that we've already talked about in our sessions together are the things that we want to live out and therefore express the holiness, purity, and therefore beauty. Then we become attractive. Is this not what Paul says when he says that we, come, we become a fragrance for life unto life? Fundamentally, pursuing holiness, which we do because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The what spirit? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So you have a spirit, the Spirit of God inside of you, characterized so often in the scriptures with this adjective, holy, the Holy Spirit, giving us the power to live in a way that we can reveal the holiness of God every day that we may live for better desires because we have a better Savior and better God, the holiness of God. Any questions on that or comments or thoughts?
3: So basically our examples of holiness are truly only in Scripture of what holiness is other than maybe, would you say, spiritual?
0: Well, I would say... the.
3: Because it also talks about how our wisdom is foolishness to God. Yeah. It's so kind of like one of those things that to think about, um, in my mind, uh, it's kind of has to be granted or given by the Holy Spirit through Scripture, or,
0: uh, I don't know, the well, understanding, true understanding. Yeah, I would say, so a few things... Uh, Absolutely, we can't do it on our own. This is a gift of God's grace, and we're enabled to. I mean, God wouldn't, God isn't capricious, right? So He doesn't give us commands that aren't keepable. That, that would be unloving. So if He says, if He commands, be holy as I am holy, then there's a possibility to be holy um, through, and, and certainly as believers in Jesus, we would say, through the finished perfect work of Jesus Christ. We we are in Christ. We take on the spirit of Christ. We are washed in the blood of Christ. And in those times when we are defiled, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so to purify us to make us holy. Um I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has made a propitiation for all of your sins. So standing in Jesus, I see the potential to live in a holy way. Certainly, the perfect example of holiness is only found in the Trinitarian God. But we see examples of holiness by, by men and women in the scriptures. And I see examples of holiness around me in my Grace Church family. I see the holiness of God displayed as Claude said moments ago, we are image bearers of God. And so we have the ability to reflect that. Um, And this is, isn't this so badly what we desire? We desire those examples. Um, I I remember when, um, and, and this is, so let me say it this way. Part of, part of how this should work is your pastors and elders should be examples of the holiness of God to you. Um, I think how the American evangelical church has largely failed is because we wanted, we've wanted to turn pastors into managers, leaders, CEOs, orga- organizational heads, um, administrators, right? On and on and on and on and on. Fundraiser. I mean, the list could go. I remember Ben Witherington years ago listening to him talk about doing a study and going around the world and seeing all of the different um, kind of heads of religions and priests of all the varied religions, uh, major religious systems in the world. And and he said everywhere I went, now not in terms of biblically, but just bear with me for a second, I saw holy men. And I came to America. And I saw managers and I can remember hearing that as a young pastor, first year in the pastorate in praying, God, make me a holy man. My people need me to be a holy man. Andrew Murray wrote, um, years ago, Scottish minister, the greatest gift that I can give to my people is my personal holiness. Will I pursue that? And, and if that's a gift, then it's a thing that you can see, an example to follow. And not while not directly related to holiness, isn't this what Paul said when he said, imitate me as I imitate the Messiah. So I think there are, there should be, we should be looking for that. We should be encouraging that. We should be affirming that in others when we see that shining through. Like, thank you for your example. Thank you for fighting sin in the way that you fought sin. Um, Yeah, so those are some, sorry, I'm rambling now. Justice and righteousness. God isn't only holy, but just and righteous. In common English, maybe we think of justice kind of as as public and righteousness as private, or justice is kind of this communal thing that we're pursuing and righteousness is like this individual pursuit but not so when it comes to God. Justice and righteousness stem from similar root words in the original languages certainly, and they refer to strict adherence to a law or standard, meaning that God is always is right and he always acts according to what is good, right, and just. God's justice and righteousness are also our assurance that sins and wrongs will one day be dealt with. So it can his justice and righteousness are a way that I can process and not be thrown headlong into despair when I see so much injustice around me. When we see so much injustice around us, right? We we cannot we should fight for justice. We should fight for righteous judges and attorneys and a criminal what do we have in this country? We call it a what? A criminal justice system. We we want that to be just, and yet we also live in the tension that it cannot exhibit the perfect justice of God. We can't... Expi- we'll just be disappointed over and over again. And we just have to be aware of that. When we see what we're seeing in the Middle East flare up once again, those things will be dealt with. One, If not in this... And, and there is no... Is this not why... God tells Paul to write, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says Yahweh. And do you see how these two things are, are related? I don't enact vengeance Because I am not a perfectly holy God. So it is impossible for me to perfectly enact vengeance on another human being. I can't do that. Now, again, there's a tension here. He's going to say in Romans 13, I've given the sword to rulers and authorities. Peter's going to write about honoring rulers and authorities and and submitting to the powers that have been placed in the world. Um, So it doesn't mean that knowing that we're humans and we're imperfect and we can't give perfect justice doesn't mean that we don't pursue it. But at the end of the day, it's, listen, I know, I know there's a day coming. I know that books are going to be opened and there will be a perfect judge who perfectly meets out exactly the justice that is required. Yes?
2: Could you say according to our deeds?
0: Oh, absolutely, Romans 6. There you go. Yeah. Justified by faith. Judged according to works. Absolutely.
3: As long as we're focused on our own individual walk with that mindset, though, because uh, that's like, a, that reminds me of James, I guess, who talks about like a, not to be judges of the law or whatever, um, but to be doers of it, right? Um, and that's more about, like, to me, God shows me my own stuff. You know what I mean? once you start having your eyes going elsewhere on other people's sin, that makes sense, sense, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know, that just reminded me of that kind of... Are,
0: are you... I don't know that I do know what you mean. Um, so, are,
3: basically like... Um,
0: that we shouldn't judge others? Is that...
3: Right, yeah, basically, but be doers of the law, like, well,
0: I don't know. Well, James, that text is be not only hearers of the word but doers. Don't be like someone who looks in a in a mirror yeah. and sees what you're like and then turn and forget what you've been shown about yourself. Um, I, so I think that's slightly different. Um, I, I a lot think of there too, What's that? There's another one in James. Okay. Two that I'm referring to. Maybe I'm wrong. It could be no, it, wrong. well no, you could be right. I I'm not recalling it offhand, but right. someone maybe can help us if they know it. But what about you, um, like no no I, no you're, no eric eric I, I think if i'm understanding you, I think you're bringing up something important i I think there is injustice and righteousness right. in 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 the church I, I think um again there's and I'll just keep saying this to you guys because I think it's really important- I feel like God showed this to me just a few years ago i finally started understanding there are so many tensions in the Christian life. And, and and I think it's actually exciting together to try and navigate those tensions and help each other through those tensions. So you can say, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. But we have to take the totality. This is what systematic theology does, right? So if we're thinking about justice and therefore potentially God judging or how do I judge certain things... Um, The Bible is also very clear that we have to be in each other's grill, that we have to be calling out sin. If you see Jesus Himself teaches, right? If you see your brother in sin, go to him (laughs) that you may save your brother. And if he doesn't listen to you, bring a friend with you. Because he's not, he then it's just a he said, she said. So bring someone else. And if he still won't listen to you two, grab an elder, grab a third. And if that doesn't work, then go to the entire church. We're going to, church family, we've been going to Eric for five months now and he is not listening to us. He's not listening. So we need to pray for him and here's what we're going to do. Paul can say, hand him, I just read this morning in Corinthians, it is an act of love to hand that brother over to Satan. Wow. That he And in in Paul's mind, I think his hope is that that kind of desperate act will finally wake that brother up, cut off from the fellowship of the brethren and the sisters to wake up to the reality of what he's doing in sexual immorality, because he's just written how dangerous, like you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're sexually immoral. So I think that, right, like this is that difficulty of what does that look like? And so, and then people want to throw out, right, in our culture, Don't judge, lest you be judged. does not that say that in your Bible. And then what do we know from last year? A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And that's all about the manner in which. It's about not judging. It's about how are you judging? Are you judging in a righteous, God-honoring way? Now I'll go on. (laughs) (laughs) that's That's a great, thanks, Eric, for bringing that up. God's justice applies to all without favoritism. He will deal with us according to our adherence, Tom, our adherence to or lack of conformity to his laws. And that is why he sent the Messiah to be a sacrifice for sinners. God's son himself received the sentence of justice that we deserved. We saw this months ago, Romans 3. God presented Jesus as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God had passed over sins previously committed. So God presented Jesus to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. (laughs) Paul writes elsewhere, he came at the perfect time to fulfill the law so that Jesus would be just and then justify the one to that he would make right the one who has faith in Jesus. Goodness and love, goodness and love. Finally, God is a God of goodness and love. By finally, I mean the the final one that we're gonna cover. There's lots more. Um, God is a God of goodness and love. He is perfectly good. He always does what is best and is the source of all that is good. In James one seventeen, we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's goodness manifests itself in a multitude of ways. He is benevolent and cares for His creation and His common grace. You could read Psalm 147. God's goodness is demonstrated in His love and grace towards the undeserving, shown in His long-suffering. <laughs> I said this last... Sunday. I love that word. He is long, he suffers long with me. He is slow to anger. Thank goodness. Yes, and loving kindness. By way of application, what does God's goodness mean for us? One way to come at that, which admittedly will feel a little negative, think of all the ways that we doubt God's goodness. When we sin, we're doubting God's goodness. That his laws weren't good. That the way that he constructed how we should behave and act and live wasn't good. We'll choose the good way. We're going to choose our own way. This is the good way. This is good for me. You said I shouldn't do that, but I think it's good for me. We're doubting his goodness when we sin. When we fear for the future. When we fear men more than God. When we worry. God's goodness invites us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. It reminds us that he will always do what is best. Always. He is a good God. He is a good God. complementary attribute here is love. When it comes to love, we have a difficult time thinking biblically, generally in the culture. Today, people aren't surprised when you tell them God loves you. They get awfully upset when you talk about his holiness, his judgment, his laws. But they love when you tell them God loves you. It's because we have separated divine love from the other complementary truths about God. Right, that we talked about, the simplicity of God. So all of his attributes are perfectly working all the time together. Yeah. So his judgment, his laws, are part of a manifestation, an example of his love. He is loving, but he always loves in harmony with all of those other attributes. When scripture speaks to God's love, it refers to it in at least four different ways. I get this from Don Carson's very helpful book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Some of us would even just have trouble maybe with that title. Why is it difficult? (laughs) Because it's a very complex thing when you start to think about it and work it out. I wouldn't have thought that until I started reading Carson. First, Carson says there's the unique intra-trinitarian love between the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's one aspect of the love of God. Second, there's God's providential love over all that he has made. Genesis one, we see he made all of creation good. Matthew six, he feeds even the sparrows. Third, there is God's salvific, salvific stance toward a fallen world, right? So God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, and longingly inviting us all to repent. Fourth, Scripture also highlights God's particular, effective, selecting love towards his elect in passages like Deuteronomy 7, Ephesians 1, 1 John 4:10 and many more. So we don't want to absolutize any one of these ways of talking about God's love. God's love isn't sentiment, sentimental and warm feelings. Maybe we should say it's not merely I don't want to remove a warmth. There is a warmth in his love. I think I think the people that came into contact with Jesus would say there's a there's a warmth. Not a, not a sentimentality, not a a lightness, but but warmth. There's warmth. Ooh, I like that, Tom. Sincere. They knew. Yeah. Yeah. Real. Yeah, felt. God's love refers to how He tenderly seeks the good of His creatures. Where can that good be found? Only in God Himself. In His love, He gives Himself. In His love, He draws us away from ourselves into Himself. And as He makes us like Himself, we find that we love Him, and then we love others. This is the first and greatest commandment: love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love yeah and by this said Jesus everyone will know what you're my, disciples. you're my disciples if you love one another God's attributes reveal his transcendence and imminence to a first century Jew transcendence was a given meaning God is holy set apart totally distinct from us today God is largely thought of as exclusively imminent. this is the danger right so we want balance between transcendence and imminence. A lot of times we can think that he's here he's present he's comforting us. it can become overly casual God's our buddy, our friend, someone we hang with and it's both like i want it I want it to be both i, I don't I feel like there's stuffy theologians that I know that too much want to protect, I think they're thinking, this is where the Trinity, I think, is so helpful. They're not Trinitarian enough. They're thinking of, of Yahweh God, of, of that Father God, I think. I think I see Yahweh in connection to his Fathership. I think that's right. And so they want to protect, um, and they'll use it to defend how you should even dress on a Sunday morning, right? Like, wh- why aren't you in a suit and tie? as if somehow that related to the holy presence of God, that kind of 21st century cultural. I own one suit. I've worn it once at Grace Church, Um, right? And while there is this very real incarnational Jesus who actually did hang with his disciples and called us his friends, and he laughed, and he ate, and he went potty, and he had diarrhea and he vomited and right like he was real and he gets us, and so we can relate to him that way he knows all of those realities of being human and so i can I can relate to him in that very concrete human way as fully God and fully man and so i I want to hold both of these i don't I don't want to think that he's unapproachable and that Like this last Sunday, I I want there to be images and visuals that you have of Jesus pulling you in close and holding you and embracing you, and he's going to do that one day. (laughs) In new heavens and new earth, I can't wait for a Jesus hug. I'm absolutely confident I'm going to get a Jesus hug. And if he doesn't hug me, I'll hug him. (laughs) Hard. (laughs) But I think he's going to. He's going to hold me close. He wept when Lazarus died. He cried. Big tears. And he's this God who just like, oh, my word. He's the Mount Sinai God. Like, don't get too close. We can't. Moses, tell him to stop. I can't take any more. Um, so we want, there, there needs to be a sense of awe in worship. And, and a sense that I can draw near. And, and So yet another tension, right? We've got another tension that we're trying to, to navigate. Thoughts on that? Yeah, please, you know, Claude. I look, I'm here I'm thinking God's holiness,
1: God's justice and righteousness, God's goodness and love. We tend to list these things. We tend to iterate those things, but mm. actually they are absolutely in unity. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. By faith, we need to recognize that there's no daylight between
0: any of these yeah. things. Yeah, that's good. It good reminder. God. Yeah.
1: He is all those simultaneously at all times which is it's, it's it's our human minds that want to list things. <laughs> yeah right first this then that then that and, and then as a result there's a, a little separation
0: that occurs in our minds and that should not exist which That's- which can be hard too i think because we're not that way and and we like if we think in our relationships with each other if if you would des- if you would describe Someone we talk about like our personalities. There's things that we're more of, less of, and not at all of, <laughs> right? Like, I, I know I, I'm. I don't feel like I'm a very empathetic person. My wife is a very empathetic person. Um, I can describe to you characters and qualities as you probably could, especially the spouses, people among us that have spouses, or, or a clo- like think of a close friend who you know really well. like You, you know certain things about them that operate more than not. Um, and, and yeah, Claude, it's a good reminder that, that God isn't that way. He, he doesn't need anyone to compliment him, to shore up. <laughs> like, if he were only a little more loving... <laughs> if you were only a little bit more compassionate. Yeah. And This is why, and it's not, we're, we're all humans. We have lots of things that are going on in our lives. We have limited time to do these things. I, I understand that. And it, and this is why I love getting together in a in a seminar like this, is for us to encourage one another to think on these things, to think about God, to ponder God, to do exactly what Claude just said in, and to meditate on his attributes. Um, if for no, I mean, certainly for your own soul, but then certainly to be able to describe him to someone else. Because isn't he the one that we're here to proclaim? And, and isn't he the one that, you know, a week and a half from now, when I'm, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? We, we must proclaim the good news. And what is our good news? <laughs> it's the Father the Son and the Spirit and what they're on about in this world um,
2: I uh, just wanted some clarification because I, I was under the influence that maybe Claude was saying that there isn't something like holiness is not something a standard external to God for example like the way I thought about because um, even though I don't have children at, at an old church they mainly really do Church, and, <laughs> Church. And, um, and so this topic of God's holiness came up, and while I was preparing for the lesson, I kind of came to the realization, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but that saying God is holy is equivalent to the philosophical or the analytic statement that bachelors are unmarried men. It's, holy is what God is. Um... And that those those are basically the same things. You, it's a different word to describe God. And you might say that God is righteous. God is good. God is love. Is actually a, a verse in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the reason why I guess I'm bringing this up is, um, so I have a friend of mine who is not a Christian, but he was reading through the Bible and he came across First Kings twenty-two, and this is where Jehoshaphat. Ahab are going to go into battle at, I think it's Rehoboth Gilead or something like that. And um, Jehoshaphat seeks the prophet Micaiah because he wants to know if they're going to be victorious. And Micaiah goes and says, and, and Micaiah comes forward and says, talks about the vision that he had, where he comes to God's throne room and the Lord says, how are we going to kill Ahab at Rehoboth Gilead? And, and so this is, um, around verse 22, the Spirit comes and says, I will lie to Ahab's prophets and tell them that he will be victorious. And God, you know, this is Ryan's translation of it, but God's like, that's genius. And my friend was like, God was lying.
1: That's a vexed passage of Scripture. What's that? That's a vexed passage of Scripture. (laughs) But... But it's a perfect example of anthropomorphism. It, it it's something that humans can relate to. Mm. Well,
2: perhaps, but the, I guess mm. the question is: is was God unrighteous? There was God not good. Was well, God not loving? Perhaps right. outside of our Was God not holy? <laughs> not but, but if you <laughs> say that God is holy and God is good, then these are things. Then you can't call into question because these these are. At, these are, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I understand what you... Yeah, the, I, I think I do anyway. The uh, ideas separate from God. Oh,
0: absolutely. That part I understand. And, and I, so I, I understand know. the statement. What I'll admit is my lack of full understanding because I, I think, again, there's mystery here. So a couple of things. Yeah. So on the, on the ideas of... Um, you're bringing up a really good clarification as these things as, for lack of a better way to say it, like states of being... God is holy. God is love. I think of I can remember John Piper, who um, he was my pastor for a, a season, um, when describing, like in his attempt to describe the righteousness of God in relationship to the holiness of God, he said the holiness of God is like the sun, and the right the righteousness is like the rays of the sun. In one sense, they seem to us to be the same thing, but it's a manifestation, it's a display of the holiness of God, like shooting off and out of that holiness. And so, and again, is that a perfect analogy? No, it's not. It's our attempt, and I think maybe this is what you're on about. It's like we're trying to grasp hold of things that are the divine. So I think you're right. I think, and I also think that he then can describe ways in which. We're holy, so in that sense, if you want to say, is it outside of himself, is it an external thing? It's a thing that we can take on, is communicable to us as his creation. Um, Yes. On the lie issue, that's where, if if I come to what I would call, I know that I hold, so one of my presuppositions in the scripture is that there are no contradictions in the scripture. It's not going to contradict itself. So that's a presupposition that I have biblically. And so I know that God isn't evil. I know that he's not unrighteous. And, and so if, if that description is wise, then there has to be, I can remember. Okay, so I'm, I'm going in November to the Evangelical Theological Society annual meeting. I love this meeting because there's just like literally thousands of men and women who are, have more smarts in their pinky than I have in my whole body. And, and so then you get sharpened, right? It's like trying to go play football with an NFL player. You, you, hopefully you get a little bit better. Um, years ago, Wayne Grudem uh, gave a paper on, on truth and lying, uh, an entire paper on why it's wrong to throw surprise birthday parties. Because you're lying and you're sinning. Yeah. <laughs> That's just because you don't like surprises because you're like my wife. Don't wrap the presents even, right? Like, ah, oh, you're, just, you're just anti-fun. <laughs> and I remember, so that paper, so a number of us, this was when I was still in seminary. So there's, I think there were probably eight of us. Because we're like, there's a paper on not throwing surprise birthday parties? This is insane. So we went to it just because, like, what is this going to be like? Right. I think we spent three hours that night talking through... Um, is there a definition of lying that doesn't cause you to sin? That was our goal. So that, because our presupposition, presupposition was throwing a surprise birthday party isn't wrong. God, I, we just thought God cannot be displeased with that. So I have to lie. Uh, sweetie, we're going to go to this person's house because uh, they invited us to dinner. Right. I'm lying. So our definition of lying was, let me see if I can remember it. Um, Something along the lines of to say something not fully in accord with the truth without any malicious intent or desire to harm. That was our definition. To come up with a way that lying, you know, do not lie one of the commandments right like so i just we we didn't agree with grudem so that was our attempt now i suppose that passage still breaks our definition because it was with the goal of yeah, it was the, well but not malicious there was harm but how do you define harm god's intent is to bring about an ultimate good that he is working out and so yeah See, so that's all I got for you, Brian. It's seven awesome o'clock. That I yes. Say
3: like that. I got stuck on this because of like, Job. Like, and there's other stories in the Bible where it's just, like, if you try to look at it from your understanding of what good and bad is, you know what I mean? There's parts of, like, I mean, I couldn't understand why Job had to lose some of what he lost, you know what I mean, all these things. and yeah. Or the flood. I mean, all this other stuff. Was there not one person that would have maybe been... He does things that are beyond my understanding, and I just have to trust Him with that, is where I got. That was where, because that thought process led me to where uh, uh, I wasn't yet trusting. And that's when I knew that it was something that was coming from somewhere else, and that I needed to um, really just kind of understand like what, what, what was going on there. And I think that ultimately what God revealed to me was there was just so many things— um, and I wrote that thing down a long time. It's like a parent, like how they'll save their kid from going to a party because they know that what's going to happen at that party. Their kid hates them in the moment, but the, lo- the love, the sovereign love, and it's like the same thing with God for me is like how He's able to pierce our heart in a way. He's the only one that can. Like somebody else can come and say, "You're doing this wrong." And you'd be like, Yeah, whatever. But when God, is, oh my God, you're so right. You know what I mean? Bring you straight to your knees.
0: Yeah. And, what I one, one thought there is what I want to encourage you to do, and, and, and encourage us all to do, is, and maybe it's another tension. Um, there may be moments. So when you say like, and then I just go, I, I don't know. Um, say I don't know. Maybe for that night or that week. What what I want to encourage um, at Grace and and why you're why you're here in this class is that is that yes we come to the end of our understanding and then maybe we take a break but that we keep pressing in i think that's the joy of following our father and i think that's the joy of understanding in the bible and like that there can be an increase over time there are things i know at 54 that i didn't know there are things that i understand that i didn't understand at 20 and at 30. some of it is because just a long period of study. Some of it is because someone who has grayer hair than I do and has been on this earth longer and has studied longer than I have, they can help me find those answers because they found them themselves. Isn't this what Paul said? Timothy, I've taught you these things and now go and find able men and women and teach these things to them as well. Some of it becomes like you say with Job, like Job learned from his suffering. It even says of Jesus, he learned From his sufferings, what does that mean? (laughs) He's God, right? So, it. I I think what I what I want to. um, It's like when you're weightlifting, right? Like when you go weightlifting, you weightlift with someone who's just a little bit ahead of you. And when you're on that bench, I remember, like in college, lifting the 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 football team let me weightlift with them, which normally you don't do because all these guys are like, you know, like this is walking around like this. And they let because you don't want to be changing out plates and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I whiffed it, you know. I'm the little skinny guy on the beach that you're kicking. <laughs> out here I am. <laughs> and they're like, ah, ah. and I was lifting with this guy. He had a shaved head, defensive line, all tatted up, veins popping just everywhere. And I'm and I'm pushing. I'm like, I can't I can't go anymore. And he's like, lift it, lift it. And he's just like screaming at me, just. And what did I do? I got it. I got it because <laughs> he, he pushed me. Right. He pushed me. And that's what, That's what we get to do with each other is like, okay, I don't understand this. Okay, that's all right, bro, today. We're going to come back and we're going to study some more. Here's a book that you can read. I don't understand the holiness of God. All right, well, here's a sermon from R.C. Sproul. Here's a book by R.C. Sproul. Like, we can't, we can't tap out. <laughs> this is life. This is life. Um, and he's worthy. He's worthy of our investigation. He's worthy of our study. Uh, not, not like I, Claude had a good, I think, warning. There, there's things. We have to be careful. We don't want to put him in boxes. We don't want to drag him down. Um, but he also wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. Um, Couple more questions, and then we'll, we're not even going to go into the next one. Look at that, we went. We went right until seven o'clock. Um, no, stop. Stuff your saris in a sock. This is what I love. I want it to be interactive, and we're having questions, and we're learning together. And so we're just going to go slower. Um, and next week, or excuse me, I'm not here because uh, we're in Cleveland, so I'm not teaching next week. Um, the week after. We're going to talk about something that has, it's going to be so fun because it has absolutely no controversy in the church whatsoever. We're going to talk about creation, right? <laughs> Zero controversy, just no controversy. That I am sure, actually that week is going to be like a 30 minute session because it's just, it's that easy. It's that straightforward. Actually, I know we're going to go at least two sessions on creation because uh, you can see it says part one and part two, which means actually we're probably going to be at least three sessions on creation. Because um, when we, I'm going to talk about seven things that we learn from the creation event, and then we're going to get into the different theories uh, in the church on describing, you know, what exactly, how, how did creation happen, and their theories, 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 <laughs> theories. <laughs> all of which. Except for theistic evolution, at least, I would argue. The others you can... I just want to make sure that we're all understanding. So let me just set the table right now. I'll set the table for, for creation discussion. There are many differences of opinion and belief that you can have in the creation conversation and still be within the stream of Orthodox Christianity. So if you're coming to like argue, if you don't believe in the day age, if you don't believe in literary framework, if you don't believe in whatever system you absolutely believe in, then you're not part of Orthodox Christianity, maybe you just want to skip the next couple of weeks and not create trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a parallelism between this and eschatology. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> the beginning and the end of the Bible, there's been more conflict and division in the church and I think it makes God, in all seriousness, I think it makes him so very grieved that his children... Fight the way that we do, not argue. We'll argue. I want to argue. Remember, I said I want to argue in this. We need to defend our positions. And Claude and I differ on how we're looking at the Trinity. Right? We're walking out of here loving each other, so we we can argue and we can disagree inside orthodoxy. Um, we can't disagree on the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to forgive us of all of our sins. Right. But, um, there are things that we will disagree on and we're gonna probably, there's probably very differing views here and on the creation account and that's okay. And we'll have those arguments. We won't fight. We won't divide, but we can argue. Okay. Yes. Eric. I found that scripture. Can I read it real quick? Please do it. <laughs> do it.
3: It's uh, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Uh huh.
0: Can you give afraid. us the address, Eric? It's a, uh, uh
3: Oh, okay, yeah. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's uh, a lot to study in that one. I've yeah, seen.
0: there is. Yeah, there is. That's good. Thanks for finding that. Any other questions?
2: So just to beat a dead horse, um, I was basically what I was trying to say is, if you say that God is righteous and holy, then what happens in First Kings twenty-two? If you don't have this external standard, which is usually a man-made <laughs> created standard, then if you say that God is righteous and holy, and what He does is, he righteous, is righteous and holy. Okay, holy, then there is no. He doesn't sin by lying or whatever. What my friend was asserting was the case. My friend was asserting that there's this external standard of righteousness or holiness. I And see. that God didn't meet that. And, 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 my
0: and so therefore point, he's unrighteous.
2: Yes. And, and my point to him was that's not the case because righteousness and holiness is defined by God. Like we, I don't think we know what righteousness and holiness is without God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, so so therefore he could not have sinned because he is the standard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good. Excellent clarification.
1: One thing I would note is that that passage in first Kings is a narrative passage and we have didactic passages that absolutely teach the attributes so that's where you put your that's where you put your your coal, your money on <laughs> the didactic passages.
0: Yes, and I just don't want to discount that there's much we can learn from the narrative, which I I don't think you would disagree oh, with. Absolutely yeah, not. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, didactic or propositional, you know, like the epistles. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right. Who would like to, Roger, will you close us in prayer? I was gonna ask, but then I decided to assign.